So let me talk to you about Isaiah chapter 66, uh, really just 1 through 2, verses 1 through 2. The title of this message is How to Get the Favor of God. I think everybody would be interested in that. How do you get God's favor? How do you get the favor of God? You know, the Bible actually tells us how to, how to attain, receive God's favor. Uh, because God, you, and the Bible tells us this, and I'll read it. God is looking for people that he wants to bless. Do you want to be one of them? You want to be one of them? I do. I do, man. You want to be like Joseph, who the Bible says that he caused his hands, everything, the work of his hands to prosper? But when I first read the Bible through and I read that phrase, I go, whoa, 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 whoa. Everything Joseph did, God was in it and caused the work of his hands to prosper. Now, he did spend a lot of years in jail. But even in jail, he rose up to the leader of jail. And would you like to be like Daniel, who in captivity, who I mentioned this morning, God caused everything he did to prosper. He caused the work of his hands to prosper. Moses, Joshua, these men, Elijah, Elisha, Josiah, Hezekiah, God caused the work of their hands to prosper. We need that. Man, I want that. And I've wanted that for a long time and been seeking God's face on it. And I believe God in many ways in my life has helped me there. So tonight I want to answer that question, how to get the favor of God. Isaiah 66, thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne, the earth is my footstool. Where is the house that ye build unto me? And where is the place of my rest? For all those things hath mine hand made, and all those things have been, saith the Lord. But to this man will I look. Even to him that is poor, put a one by that. And of contrite spirit, put a two by that. And trembleth at my word, and it wouldn't hurt you to put a three by that. That phrase, but to this man will I look. The definition of look is means to regard with pleasure, to regard in favor, uh, to look intently at, to consider, to respect. Those are synonyms for this word look. And so to have God spend some time regarding you with pleasure, with his favor, his care, uh, consider you or, or, and respect you, have respect to you is amazing to have God of all that is, even spend time at all with us. And yet he says, to this man will I look. Well, as soon as I read that verse years ago, that picks my attention up. I'm like, what in the world? I got to have that. I, I want to be a person who God wants to look at, wants to consider, wants to, wants to have regard for. Well, how, how can we do that? Well, I believe this passage uh, tells us out of all the people in the world, God is looking for those who, of a free choice, love him. 2 Chronicles 16, 9 says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong, that's that favor deal, in behalf of them whose heart is perfect toward him. The word perfect is the word shalem. 
not shalom, shalem. And it means complete or friendly, whose heart is friendly toward him, whose heart is full towards him. Um, uh, complete or whole, of course, translation is good. But the synonyms of it help us understand it. Is your heart friendly towards God? Do you want him in your life? Do you want him in there? You say, does God carry? I just read it. 2 Corinthians 16, 9. Love in the Bible is translated by its action. Love is an emotion in some degree. It's a decision, really. The agape love in the Bible is a decision we make where we totally commit ourselves to something and to God. It's, it's demonstrated by our, our obedience to God once we commit our love to him. So obedience, love is obedience. Obedience is love, especially when it's voluntary. If it's not voluntary, you can't count it that way. Uh, John chapter 14, verse 15 says, Jesus said, if you love me, you're going to do what? Keep my commandments. I, I just like simple, straight up and down stuff. I just love the book of John because it's just little short sentences, straight up and down, simple stuff. Uh, if you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. People want to make a million reasons, excuses why they don't want to do God's will or don't do what he wants them to do. Stop it. If you love him, you'll do it. And marriage just is great for marriage counseling, by the way. A wife wants to make her man successful. Why? She loves him. Um, if I may say, Sandy Atto loved Ben. It was apparent that she wanted him to succeed. To me, it was apparent. Well, that just told me you loved him. And it was pretty apparent to me that he wanted you to succeed, even though he wanted to pass more tracks out than you and have a little reservoir to do that whole thing. But he <laughs> He wanted, he, wanted, he wanted Sandy to succeed also. That's the kind of marriage you want, man. That's this up-spiral deal. Like, I want my wife to succeed. She wants me to succeed. I want her to succeed. No, I want, she wants me to succeed. No, I want her to succeed. No, she wants me to succeed. That's just the way, that's the way to have a happy 51 years, man, or 50 years, or 49 years. But it's, it's, a, it's the best way to go. But, you know, there's this down-spiral too, isn't there? Where I try to hurt you, you try to hurt me. I try to hurt you, you try to hurt me. I've seen marriages that were trying to see who could hurt the other one the most, see who could see who could drag the other one back. The Bible says a foolish woman pulls their house down with her own hands. <clears throat> Remember the blame sermon this morning? She shouldn't be blaming her husband. The Bible says she pulls it down with her own hands. She's the problem. <clears throat> you say I have a mean husband. Love him. Jesus said to love your enemies. My goodness, if you're supposed to love your enemies, do good to them that despitefully use you and, and bless them that curse you, how much better should you be to your mate? Boy, that's good preaching. <clears throat> Bible's true. Man, that's good. So simple, but not so easy. Not so easy. You need supernatural injection. You gotta want it, and you gotta want it bad. <clears throat> so when a wife, a wife should obey her husband because she loves him. A child should obey her parent or their parents because they love them. A soldier obeys his country and willing to die for his country because he loves his country. Uh, not, not a mushy, ushy, gushy, 
type love, but a commitment love, an agape love. There's been thousands and thousands, yeah, maybe hundreds of thousands of Christians have died for the cause of Christ. Why? Because they love God and love the Word of God. So love, the conclusion of the matter is, and love is exhibited in a free will obedience. Amen? That little section I just did. Love is, is exhibited by free will, free will obedience. If you love me, keep my commandments. So what are the attributes of a person that God will pay close attention to or want to focus on or want to bless? First of all, you put one by it, right? Somebody that's poor. Now, you, you, you may say, well, does that mean financially? Not necessarily. They sometimes will go together, but will not necessarily go together. Now, you know what the Bible says about rich people. It doesn't say a good word about rich people. I mean, you just about can't find a good word about rich people in the Bible. They're the ones who oppress you. They're the ones that rule over you. Uh, I mean, look at look at Pelosi. I mean, excuse me, but um, <clears throat> you know they 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 um, manipulate the poor and use the poor oftentimes to to wealth themselves. Um, you know, I mean, and it, and Jesus even made it tough on him. He says it's harder for a rich man to go into the kingdom of heaven than for a camel to go through an eye of a needle. And he meant what he said and said what he meant. And so, if God if God endows 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 you endows you with money, you better be nervous about that and really get humble before God, and really exemplify a poor spirit, a spirit of a poor person. That's what it's talking about. Now, what's that mean? Well, hopefully I can explain that. The word means afflicted or humble or lowly or needy. A poor person is afflicted oftentimes or humble because of their poverty. They're lowly because of their poverty, and they're needy because of their poverty. They're considered to be poor. It is true sometimes, as I said before, that poverty, uh, poverty will cause all of that. But a humble person does not think highly of himself. Who is this poor person? Well, they don't think highly of themselves. He often believes, if I may say he on this, believes others are indeed better than he is. Uh, he, a humble person is teachable and uh, willing to learn because he does not think he already knows it all. See, sometimes riches create false confidence in your abilities. Because in this world system, you were able to do this or do that and make a lot of money. You think somehow you're superior. You are not. And those riches will be left right here. And you'll stand before another set of judgments than this world's judgments. The world says if you're rich, you're, you, you've, you've made it, you've attained, it's wonderful. What else could you ask for? But the heaven does not say that. The Bible, surely enough, does not say that. And so we want to make sure, to whom, will, to whom will I look? To what man am I going to look to in favor? Well, it says those of a poor, basically a poor spirit. They have a spirit of a poor person, a humble person. A humble person looks for help outside of himself. Um, we have deacons and deacons meetings. And one of the qualifications of being a deacon at Gospel Baptist Church is you have to have a, a poor spirit. You can't get in there and be Mr. Big. You ain't going to make it in our deacons meeting if you come in and Mr. Big. I'm Mr. Know-something, I got something, and all of a sudden, stop. Stop. You ain't going to make it. 
Because when we start disagreeing with you and telling you we don't like what you say, you're going to get your feelings hurt, and you're going to get offended. And if you're offendable, you never can be a deacon. You've got to be unoffendable. Because I guarantee you, you get 10 men together, you get 10 ideas on stuff. And we just try to, by the grace of God, to, sh to shuffle the thing out and to get an agreement of spirit so that we know what God wants us to do. But if you have a group of men that have a poor spirit, it is a congenial group of folks. Now, years ago, I preached a sermon called The Yes Man. And I said, our deacons are yes men. Now, most people take that as a, not a good thing, but our, if you take it in a spiritual sense, it's a great thing. They're cooperative. They want to see how, they, they would rather work at getting along than not getting along. You got all that? Are you all with me on this? They're spending their time of seeing how they can make it happen rather than not make it happen because the ego has been put down. And when the ego is put down, then you can all discuss something, disagree on it. Nobody gets their feelings hurt because the egos aren't up there. You get a bunch of men with egos. We've had some trustees, no offense with the trustees, but, but when they put those trees in out there, that I, I had the idea after I preached a sermon, tree, planting trees, other people said in 1996 that was. And I said, let's plant trees, plant trees other people will sit under someday along the edge of that road there. And uh, we had the trustees meet, and we had, uh, we had a transit. And I said, I want the trees straight. So we had somebody set up, Ernest Stewart set up his transit. Ernest Stewart was a, whoo, he was a high-tech high builder. He built multiple-story buildings. He had the highest license you could have, and he was already pretty old, and so he had a lot of experience. And then the rest of the trustees showed up also that all, all of them were bosses. So we had Ernie Stewart, which was the boss, you know, used to telling people to do this and do that. And then we had all these trustees who were bosses or telling people used to do this and do that. But we had numbers, all these chiefs, but we didn't have any Indians. And so that thing out there, and all I wanted to do was have those trees planted, spaced evenly, and put in a straight line. That was all my request. And it turned into war. I mean, there was guys quitting the trustee board. There was guys walked off the thing. And I mean, all this stuff. And I think, what a bunch of carnality. All I want is the trees planted straight and so many feet apart. And, you know, and on and on and on. And it was almost hilarious. It wasn't really funny at the time because we had a couple people quit the trustee board, which I really loved them. But, you know, they were just uh, wouldn't, if you, you know, you just got to be of a poor spirit. To whom will I look? I'm going to look to people that are of a poor spirit. That's what God says. There's plenty of cocky people out there. Plenty of know-it-all folks out there. Plenty of I can't fail out there. But there's not too many, not so many of a, of a poor spirit. But God says, now, um, who are some of these people? Well, Moses was considered the meekest man who ever lived, Numbers 12.3. Now, the man Moses was a very meek. Above all the men, which were upon the face of the earth. He was lowly. The word meek means quiet strength. By the way, Jesus was like Moses. Think of Jesus. He could command and it would happen. He could say a word and it would happen. He created by his word everything that you see and don't see. The things visible and invisible would be thrones or domains or principalities or powers. All things were made by him. Without him was not anything made that was made. Ooh, that's real power, brother. But he was meek. When the soldiers mocked him and put a purple robe on him and 
crown of thorns on his head and, and said, oh, king, oh, king, oh, king, and all this stuff. And they mocked him and set him at naught, the Bible says. And when they nailed him, finally he brought him down all the way, that horrible Via Della Rosa, all the way to the cross, finally nailed him to the cross. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Somehow I feel like there was an angel standing there withdrawing a sword, ready to slay him. And Jesus said, stop, don't do it. He was meek and lowly. And it makes sense if we're to be like Jesus, it would make sense that we would be meek and lowly, quiet spirit. In other words, we'd have power. Sure, you got power. You got authority, certain amount of authority, certain amount of power, certain amount of knowledge to contribute, certain amount of all that stuff. But you want to be slow and careful about how you do it, how you wield it. And that's the word with Moses. Josiah was another, another one. Josiah in 2 Chronicles 34, 27 heard the word of the Lord about the curses and everything, Deuteronomy 27, 28, 29. And, it says, and God says of him in, in 2 Chronicles 34, 27, because thine heart was tender, and thou didst humble thyself before God when thou heardest the words against this place and against the inhabitants thereof, and humblest thyself before me, and didst rend thy clothes and weep before me. I have even heard thee also, saith the Lord. God paid attention to him. God answered his prayers. God always praises the humble. Isaiah 57, verse 15, For thus saith the high and the lofty one that hath eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place with him. Who, who is he going to dwell with? With him that is of a contrite and humble spirit. To revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. James 4.10, New Testament, humble yourselves in sight of the Lord, he'll lift you up. It's not a new truth. It's not a new truth. So the second characteristic, I already kind of hedged in on that. The first characteristic is we have a poor spirit. The second characteristic is have a contrite spirit. The word, the word contrite, I looked it up. In Hebrew, it means smitten. It means maimed. It means dejected. That's strange, isn't it? Does this seem a little different than the self-image crowds trying to teach you? Preaching, preaching love yourself. There's a song made real popular by a singer. If you can't love yourself, the, the greatest love of all is the love of self. I can't remember who sang it. I think Whitney Houston. The greatest love of all. I think it's the name of the song. Is a, and it really, bottom line was to love yourself. And I thought, that's the, from the gates of hell. People say, well, you have to have a self, good self-image. You can't do anything. Hogwash. <clears throat> that's not what I'm reading in the Bible. So the word contrite, it was synonymous with the word broken. Are you broken tonight before God? Have you ever been broken before God? Do you grieve or have you grieved over your failures in serving Him? Have you ever grieved to the point of tears? Am I talking, am I talking to a bunch of aliens here tonight or am I talking to born-again believers tonight? 
These are not things you heard much about, have you? Have you ever wept over your own disappointments and you've disappointed God? I hope you have. You have a poor spirit. You have a contrite heart. Third characteristic that God says to look at is he that trembleth at my word. Wow. Wow. Tremble. Tremble. Can't be made to happen artificially. It's involuntary to tremble at your word. Have you ever, it probably doesn't happen to any of us very often that we tremble about anything. Uh, do you hear some horrible news? Uh, bro- brother uh, not and Red, when, when your boy got killed on the motorcycle, that news made you tremble. It, it broke you. Stuff like that. He says, I'm looking to somebody who, when they read my Bible, when they read the word I gave, they tremble at it. Wow. Wow. The word tremble, I looked it up, means to be fearful. In this case, reverential, tremble. This is difference between, by the way, this is, I believe, the difference between fundamental Bible believers and all else, everybody else, that call themselves Christian. The difference between fundamentalists and everybody else that call themselves Christian is this respect and reverence to the Bible. The Bible is either the entire Word of God or it is fake. The Bible is all true or not true at all. The Southern Baptist Convention in the Broadman Commentaries years ago in the 60s came out with the Broadman Commentaries, and in the first 11 chapters they said of Revelation, it's, it's, uh, it's allegorical. In other words, basically allegory is just a, uh, now I lay me down to sleep. Now it's, it's, it's a story, but the details are not important. An allegory doesn't care about details. It's just the overall God's just kind of overall, man, that, that's blasphemy, people. Thank God people in the Southern Baptist Convention, many of the fundamental conservative people in the Southern Baptist Convention rose up. It took them 20 years where they finally overturned that thing. 20 years before they overturned that blasphemy that was going on in the seminary. There were seminaries, Southern Baptist seminaries were saying evolution was true in the, in the 60s and 70s. And finally, after in 1980-some, they overturned all that, fired a lot of them liberals that had crept in there. I don't know what it is, but liberals seem to go to the top. They seem to rise to positions of authority. Look who we got in our government. It just seemed like they rise up into positions of authority. Before you know it, you're taken over, and you didn't even know there was a war going on. Happens with Scripture. Happens in Bible groups. We tremble. What makes us different? We tremble at God's word. We believe he, we believe he wrote it. We, we, we believe this book, a 3,500-year-old book, was, was, has, has survived a hostile environment. We believe it's uh, rec- the recognition 3,500 years worth of people who are much closer to the event than we are, that declared what it said, have in many cases died for it, 
that its contents are trustworthy and true. Let me say this. If something was wrong with this book, they would have brought it out long ago because this book has a lot of enemies. They would have brought it out. Being the devil being number one enemy. The book has absolute prophetic exactness. 30% or so of the Bible's prophecy. Half of the prophecy of the Bible is fulfilled. The half that's been fulfilled has been fulfilled in absolute exactness. Jesus' beard would be plucked out. They would gather around a cross like dogs. On and on and on. <clears throat> you can read the book, Evidence That Demands a Verdict by Josh McDowell and get other details on the mathematical improbability of, of just eight of those prophecies being fulfilled is beyond, it's beyond belief. It's not possible. It is not mathematically possible that the, there could be that many prophecies about Christ be absolutely fulfilled in him. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> prophecies indicate <coughs> this book is not normal. It is from God. I decided that the very thoughts and words of God to help me know who he was and who he is and how I could serve him <clears throat> and please him as my master and savior were in that book. <clears throat> That's why you will have to pry my cold dead fingers off of this. That's why I vehemently defended. That's why I'm careful when, if someone comes in and begins to talk lightly of it, or, oh, you can just use any Bible, any Bible's the same, all the Bibles are the same. Listen, things that are different are not the same. You're not going to give me that line. Oh, it just reads different. Well, if it reads different, then it's different. And we're careful. And that's why fundamentalists have risen up at the attack on the Bible from, from higher criticism and the attack on the manuscripts the Bible came from. That's why we, we, why? We tremble at thy word. We care about it. We understand the importance of it. We know ultimately we are not the ones that, that hold it up and keep it going. We know what's God, that God holds the word up. God defends his word, brother. God will take care of it, but we're part of his kingdom, amen? You're part of his kingdom. We're a voice, and we, we tremble at it, that we endeavor to obey it in exactness. We believe as, as, as those who tremble at his word in the specificity of the Bible, that details count. That it's not just general truth, but it's specific truth. And if it says, I mean, on subject after subject after subject, we just follow what it says. If it crosses what I believe, I change my belief to it. I don't try to argue it away. Liberals have gutted the Bible. They've gutted it to where there's nothing left that you can rely on. How do I know? I've talked to liberals. I know what I'm talking about. And so you can talk to a liberal, uh, Episcopalian, let's say, 
or liberal Presbyterian, liberal Methodist, and all they're going to say that's even possibly reliable are the Beatitudes, which is uh, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That's about it, and they're not real sure about that. They believe the Gospels, were, there was one Gospel written, and they were copied out. In other words, Matthew was copied from Mark, and, and Luke was copied from Mark, and John was copied from Mark, and there was really only one, one manuscript written, and everybody copied off and added to it the way they thought. No. I believe the holy men of God spake as they were moved along by the Holy Spirit. And the word move means to be God-breathed. That's why I'm willing to lay my life down. Now you say, you mean die, preacher? Look, God's not looking for dead Christians. He's looking for live Christians that want to serve him. He's not trying to kill us. He wants us to live for him. When I say die, I mean die to my dreams, die to my, my, die to my will, die to my agenda, and make my agenda his agenda, and my will his will, and my life his life. And, and you know what I'm talking about? You, many of you have done that already. It's a wonderful place to be. Amen? And you can still be an electrician, still be a plumber, still be a, what occupation you have, but Christ will be number one. Seek ye first the kingdom of God is righteous and all these other things I'll add unto you. You'll make it happen. I like Jeremiah 32, 41. It says, Yea, I will rejoice over them to do over them to do them good. I will plant them in the land assuredly with my whole heart and with my whole soul. Do you want God to watch over you? Well, you have to be poor of spirit. You have to be contrite. And you have to tremble at his word. He said, if I find somebody like that, if I find somebody like that, that's the people I'm looking at. That's the people I'll bless. That's the people I'll be with. And boy, I say, boy, you want to be that person that God is looking to. Father, help us tonight as we bring this simple truth out in the Word of God. How can I have favor with God? The Bible's made it clear. Help us to be so. I believe God is not a respecter of persons. If you'll meet those criteria, He'll, he'll do what He said. And if you, you, how are you going to meet Him? We can't meet Him without the Holy Spirit. You need His help, but your willingness, your decision-making is on you. It's on me. And when we make those decisions and then God comes up under us and gives us the power to fulfill those decisions, we're not fulfilling those decisions in the power of the flesh, God forbid. They that, they that live or work in the flesh cannot please God. But if we will make the decisions, beat our, beat our ego down, beat our pride down, beat that old man, that wicked man that wants to raise his ugly head, and defend himself and, and, and be hard to get along with and have hate and, and blacklists and all these other things, God, kill him. And we'll be humble and broken. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to know more about the Lord Jesus Christ, you may contact us at the church website, gospelbaptistchurch.com, or you can go to Facebook and type in Gospel Baptist Church, Bonita Springs, Florida. Also, you could call the church office at 239-947-1285. 
Thank you and God bless.